so far during this Advent season, friends, we have been introducing the birth of this child, this promised child, this, this son who will be given to the people of God. And as we've gone through this familiar passage in Isaiah 9, we have seen him as wonderful counselor. And remember that that phrase, the way that uh, word works out through the Old Testament, he is our divine leader, our divine comfort, our divine help, our wonderful counselor. We talked last week about Jesus Christ as our mighty God, the God of all perfect power who works on behalf of his children. And in those two names, we saw care and divine power beyond anything that any human child could bring and beyond the corruption of any human power or of our sin. The next name that we are going to deal with this morning also promises the power of God, but now the language becomes, in fact, very personal to us. The passage now promises an unshakable foundation for the family of God. The child who will be born to us will be our everlasting father. He is everlasting. So again, this is God in flesh. This is no temporary father who will someday be gone or a human father who is prone to mistakes or failure or abuse. He is everlasting. And he is our divine father. What a beautiful phrase. He is the head of this household. He is the provider and the protector of the people that he has created. I want us to keep our eyes on that language as we work our way through these passages this morning. Our heavenly father provides and he protects and he builds on behalf of his children. So we're going to see that the child who was born is the source of our brand new life. Life in Christ in the New Testament is often described as literally something that is brand new. We're described as becoming a new creation, being brought from death to life. And in fact, one of the most common images of the family of God, of the church of God in the New Testament is in fact family. So he has become our heavenly father and we have actually changed spiritual families if you are a child of God. And we are now under the household management of our eternal and perfect father. And then the other passage that we're gonna read in the New Testament is Mary's reaction to the visit of the angel. And we're gonna see in amazing fashion that Mary sees the provision and the protection of this everlasting father. Mary's reaction to the birth of the Messiah is filled with the hopes of the people of God, the promises of the Old Testament of what this father would do on behalf of his children. So let's begin reading, and we begin again with the foundational passage for our Advent season together here in Isaiah chapter nine. We will read verses six and seven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The child who is promised to us will be our everlasting father. Everlasting is exactly what the word sounds like. It speaks of the existence of God to just sort of use a phrase all the way in the past and all the way in the future, so to speak. There is no beginning to the existence of God. There is no end to the existence of God. There is no change in God for all of eternity. He is our everlasting Father. The way this word for everlasting is used in the Old Testament, the only person it is ever applied to is God. Nobody else, nothing else is everlasting from beginning to end without change. He is our everlasting Father. The word is also often used of the blessings and the judgments of God. If you track this word through the Old Testament, he will bless his people forever, forever, forever and ever, and his judgments will be everlasting. It's this same notion. But it's important for us, friends, to recognize that this is the God that we worship. This is the child who was born to us in flesh on that first Christmas morning. It is important for us to at least take a moment to reflect on the fact that God is everlasting. He is everlasting. This means, friends, that nobody created God. Nothing created God. This is often one of the very first pushbacks against the Christian faith. You know, the, the typical skeptic will often come up with, well, if God created the universe, well, who created God? Well, God is not a created thing. He is not a created being. His very nature is that he is self-existent and never-changing. He is the everlasting God. He has life and existence within himself. Everything else that exists, whatever you can imagine that is anything else that exists, exists because of God. Everything else is contingent upon the life of God, the creation of God, the will of God. Everything else that is created has been created by him. We recognized last week the mighty power of God. And we spoke of it in terms of God's might is his perfect ability to exercise his authority according to his goodwill all the time. Nothing hinders the power of God. Nothing stops the power of God. Nothing will change the mind of God. This is his might. This is his power. So we take that God and then we say this God is everlasting. He perfectly exists always. He is our everlasting Father. Guys, this is beautiful stuff. This everlasting, perfect God is our Heavenly Father. Scripture makes much of this term, this position that God has as Father. And in fact, if you take time this week to reflect on this passage, the things that we have talked about, you may even want to spend time in Scripture about what God's Word has to say about Him as our Father. A few of the things that are important to us this morning, 
we notice in scripture that the everlasting father is a father who is near to us. This is not a God who is disconnected or distant. This God sees, this God knows, this God actually comes in flesh in the birth of Jesus Christ on the first Christmas day. God is involved, he is near, and if you are a child of God, he actually is within you. He is actually near us. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter four. He says, and because you are sons, you are children of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The third member of the Trinity is now God with us. And if you are his child, he is within you. And Paul says, that spirit of Jesus Christ calls out in our hearts. This term of nearness and endearment, he cries out, Abba, Father. Isn't this glorious? It's a family term. It is an intimate term. It is also a powerful term. He protects the vulnerable. As our Father, Scripture says, He protects the vulnerable. Psalm chapter 68, verses 4 and 5 say this Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. This father protects the vulnerable, protects those who are his, protects those that he loves. He is also a compassionate father. Psalm 103, verse 13, describes him like this. As a father shows compassion to, to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This becomes part of our relationship with our heavenly father. He is also, and again, many examples in scripture of these things, but he is also a father of guidance and wisdom. This Father God is close enough and intimate enough and knowledgeable enough to guide us and give us his wisdom. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8 puts it like this. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So when we interact with this God and we follow him, when we listen to his wisdom, we're not just listening to a set of principles that have been laid out to us. And then if you follow these principles and Proverbs, you're gonna live a better life than not, and you're gonna learn some things. It's good practical wisdom. There's a lot of that in scripture, but that's not the image of the heavenly Father. He is with us, and he is near us, and he is wisdom, and he is power, and he is provision, and he is protection. We are in relationship with this God who created us, this child who was born to us. As we think in these terms, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. We read a little bit of the angelic announcement to Mary about who this child would be, the miraculous conception the birth that is to come. The angel told Mary, you're gonna give him the name Jesus. 
For he will take the throne of his father, David, and he will sit on that throne and he will rule forever and ever. The promise to Mary is of this mighty God. And Mary's reaction is incredible, as a matter of fact. When Mary, this, this young, pious woman, hears about this, she's amazed. She asks, how can this even happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, listen, these kinds of things are not impossible for your mighty God. But Mary's reaction is astounding. She sees the big picture. She knows what this means for herself and for the people of God. So Mary, as she reacts, she sees the mighty God at work. She sees this provision and the protection of the everlasting Father because he has never taken his eye off of his people and he never will. This is some of what we learned from Mary. So she sees God's work as a father on the personal level, and she sees the work of the Heavenly Father on the large scale for the people, the family of God. We're going to see that our Father builds a kingdom for his children. This is a lot of what Mary sees. This is what she talks about. See, Mary's song is full of this incredible theology, what God does, what he is like, who he is. God's love for her, God's love for us is an extension of his very nature. Do we know God the way Mary knows God? Because when she begins to reflect on what she has heard from the angel, she is raking in all of these incredible promises from the Old Testament, and she's saying, here it is now, and it is happening. It's incredible. So we read Mary's song, her song of praise, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. We read just a tiny piece of this this morning during our worship. And Mary said, my soul magnifies in the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring, forever. She begins by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is where we get the name of this song, the Magnificat, from the Latin translation as she magnifies the Lord. The big picture of what we just read in this passage of scripture, a girl who would have never been picked by the rest of the world is chosen by God. My soul exalts. 
I rejoice. He has seen my humble estate. He has never taken his eye off of his people. It doesn't matter how powerful the Romans are or how cruel and evil the Herods are. My God is stronger still and he has seen me. He is bringing his Messiah. It's incredible. She's been chosen by God. She would have been overlooked by everybody else. And she loves this God, and she knows who he is. And because of that, she has vocabulary. She has language. She has the ability to talk about who God is and what he does. This doesn't come necessarily just spontaneously. This is a collection of the Old Testament promises, the things that she has listened to and held on to and that her families and her people have held on to for generations and generations. And because she knows this about God, she can say this about God, who he is and all that he promises to do. And she knows, she knows that her God loves her. And it's a love of commitment. It's a love of action. It's actually a love that is engaged by the power and the care of God. We see in this passage, the everlasting father is strong on behalf of the vulnerable. It's who Mary was, and this is what Mary tells us. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She has reason to make God great, to speak about the glory of God. She has reasons to rejoice that go well beyond her place in life, her condition, her material capacity, her political and economic and social power. That's not what she rejoices in. She rejoices in the might of her God. You see, when she returns home, she will still be living a simple, even poor life. She still will not have social influence, but she has now even more reason to rejoice in her God. And we can so easily miss what God has done for us and who he is being caught up in our own lives for better or for worse. But friends, so often knowing that we need God will refine our grasp on him. To know from day to day and moment to moment and circumstance to circumstance. And in fact, friends, it's an incredibly important habit for the child of God to build inside of our reactions to life. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, be here. Jesus, speak to me. May your words speak to me. May you be present. May you guide me. To build that habit within us so that we have that language of the presence, the provision, and the the power of God in the lives of his children. We know that nothing else is gonna do what we need it to do. We need the power of God displayed on our behalf. The hymn that we sing during this time of year, Joy to the World, one of the refrains puts it like this. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It doesn't matter which corner of the world has become dark or filled with sin or the results of evil. He has come to make his blessings flow. The everlasting father shows up as the mighty God and he steps into our darkness and becomes our light and our father. 
We thought about this sentence even in prayer earlier today. Can we, can we in our own hearts and minds make this sentence our own this week? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Lifting up our God, learning how to praise him, to rejoice in him, helps crowd out everything else that jockeys for attention in our souls. And if we're honest, most of the things in this world that want our attention actually want our attention to make us grumpy, right? To make us frustrated, to make us anxious, to make us afraid, to make us angry. But instead of that, why not? My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. I'm going to turn my attention to something else. I'm going to realize who this God is who this child is that will be born on that first Christmas day. And it's gonna change the way I see things. It's gonna change the way I'm interacting with the presence of God. So Mary's heart is pointed in the right direction. Her understanding of God actually broadens her own horizons. She understands even more about God when he reveals himself. She says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary knows that this is exactly where she fits in life. She knows that in the grand scheme of the social hierarchy, her place is rather humble. She knows that. But more importantly, her disposition toward her God is one of humility. And friends, can I tell you this? Humility is your open door to the presence and the wisdom of God. Without it, pride is constantly a barrier between you and what God has to do in your life. Pride is a barrier between you and the word of God. It's a barrier between you and the people of God. It is a barrier between you and everything God wants for you, but humility, humility opens us up in so many ways, and this is how Mary sees it. Only a heart, the heart of the humble, can be receptive like this and can respond like this to the love of the Father and the power of the Father. A passage just reminded me of is in Psalm chapter 40. The psalmist puts it like this, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I am poor and I am needy, but I'm still able to say, great is my Lord. What a beautiful thing to be able to say in this kind of moment as Mary is processing what's happening. So Mary makes it clear to us that God works on behalf of the humble. In fact, she uses a lot of this language inside of the Magnificat. She mentions the humble twice in verse 48, then again in verse 52. She talks about those who fear him in verse 50, the hungry who seek after him in verse 53. She speaks even of his servant Israel in verse 54. So we see in her reaction that, that there is a theme. 
that those who are in a position to see it and receive it can experience the power of God. The spoiled child cannot appreciate the gift that it's given. A hard-hearted spouse cannot experience the mutual love that is possible in a marriage. The prodigal child rejects the love of the father. But the humble in heart and those who are in awe of the glory of God, those who are hungry for more of him, Scripture continues to say, those who are ready to be a servant to the king, those are the ones who learn how to rejoice in God their father. So, excuse me, Isaiah 49, verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So as much in Mary's song as God works on behalf of the humble and those who seek him, God works against the proud and the mighty and the vicious. Mary says in the song that God is against the proud in verse 51. He's against the mighty in verse 52. He's against the rich in verse 53. And we need to understand her context when she speaks of these things because she is thinking of the Roman oppressor. She is thinking of the Herods. And she is thinking even of the Jewish leadership who have used their power in unrighteous ways to oppress the people of God. Friends, might and power and wealth, those things by themselves are not evil. But listen, this is important. Power exercised with unrighteousness is evil. Any kind of power that is exercised through viciousness or unrighteousness, that's where things get broken. That's where oppression happens. But our heavenly Father is our mighty God, perfect in power and perfect in righteousness. So when power and might are exercised according to the righteousness of God, this is where the blessings of God are found. This is where, friends, and if I can even put it in these terms, this has just kind of been bubbling in my soul as I think about this this week. Power exercised in righteousness is where we find godly manhood. We are speaking of our heavenly father. We are speaking of the one who is the example of the perfect example of what it is to be a man of God and a godly father. Power exercised in righteousness is where we find this. It's where we find the blessing of God. We see this as well as we think in these terms again, in what Mary has to say about her father. Our everlasting father stands between what he loves and whatever wants to do it harm. Our everlasting father stands between what he loves, his people, and everything else that would do us harm. This is another role of the godly man. This is another role of the godly father. To stand between what we love and what wants to do them harm. 
because this is what our Father does. So this is what godly men and godly fathers do. They use their strength, the strength that they have to stand in front of what they love. They work to create the best world possible that they can for them. And they protect them from what the world would do to cause harm. Mary is talking about the kingdom that her everlasting father, her mighty God, is building on behalf of his people. See, our everlasting father is perfect in power and love, and so he builds for his people his perfect kingdom. So here it is again, our father, our divine father, he provides for his children, he protects his children, and he builds his kingdom for his children. And so godly men, they learn how to provide, they learn how to protect, and they learn how to build. You didn't expect this this morning, did you? This is what our Heavenly Father does. And friends, throughout this entire song, Mary tells us who God is, and this is why she can rejoice in her Savior. She uses a lot of terms to describe this God throughout this passage of Scripture. She says that God is my Savior. I rejoice in my Savior. She calls him mighty and holy in this passage. She speaks of this heavenly Father as merciful, as strong, as a merciful helper, and, and he speaks his promises over his people. This is how Mary sees the love of the Father displayed in his power, wielded on behalf of his family, his children. And it is good news, friends. It is worth rejoicing about. Isaiah 52, verses seven and eight, put it like this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Do you see the return of the Lord? Do you know what that means? Are you able to rejoice here and now whatever is going on around you? Are you able to see through the eyes of trust and faith the return of our God to this world to set up his perfect and eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior? This is what the promise of the child is. This is the son who will be born to us, our everlasting father full of might and divine wisdom and counsel given to his children, the God who is still to come. The child born to us will provide, he will protect, he will build, and we will rejoice today and tomorrow and forever in our everlasting Father. Let's pray.